Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Burke. And I'm Vicker. Welcome to the show. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's nice to see all three of you in the studio at the same time again. Yeah, a little less work for you, I imagine. Ah, it's nothing. I uh, got a couple of comments. People wondering where they can get HE2O. Um, keep looking. <laughs> we also have a few. Uh, we also have some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you to. Right. So. <laughs> so. So, uh, yeah, um, and uh, we got, today we've got, we got a lot of emails to get to, and we got, uh, Berg's going to do another uh, four of his readings, right? Yep, we'll finish it up today, so. Okay, all right, and uh, Vicar, what do, you have something interesting in front of you. What do you have exactly? Yeah, I, this has been sitting on my shelf for a little bit. It's an old, well, not old, but it's it's a ration kit. Kind of like what you'd see if you watched one of those old World War II movies. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of what soldiers would have eaten. I'm not sure if we want to try the mystery meat in the can, but it does come with a drink that's in a powder form. So I'll get some so water here's the and deal. mix it. Is, this, is it expired? Uh, No. The only thing that have ha- to try the meat. The only th- Oh, the meat? Uh, let me see that. Because that's the only thing that has a date label on it. It says June of 2020. It's fine. Uh, that's close enough. Yeah. I go to Wise Buys and buy stuff out of date all the time. I mean, if, if, you're, will, if you're willing to, everything else should be like, okay. If you eat food from the food co-op out of the seminary, that's like new, right? I found a few things with dates on there that are a few years old. Okay. Like older than a few of my kids. So I'm always a little cautious with the Nothing cans. but the best for the seminarians. <laughs> It's just it's what happens when people donate food and they forget to look at the So labels. uh so this will be the first time listeners that Is uh, your is your uh your beverage here is it like a lim- is it certified uh gluten dairy free? Cuz I know that you really cared about that in the 40s. Well, the instructions are really simple and there might not even be sugar in it. So sure. All right, let's get let's get this done. I want to try the mystery meat. Do you? I do. I'm glad Berg isn't going to let me down. So somebody's got to take one for the team. So I don't know. That looks like that might have wheat in it, Vicar. This is what I get. This is what I get for not opening this previously to look at it. That's... Hey, sorry. Can you it, wheat? Looks like it has wheat in it. Wheat. Wheat with a wheat thin. I don't know. I I think wheat this looks like it might be a small bag of garlic powder. So this could be interesting. Yeah, we that's could. That's supposed to be soup, I bet. Yes. I bet you that's. What does it say on the package? It's a lemon powder. Oh. Dissolve in canteen, eight ounces, hot or cold water. Add sugar if desired. Which we've got. We do. A lot of sugar. So where exactly did you uh, pick up this interesting uh, <laughs> cave ration thing? Yeah. Okay, so I'm 
you know, from Nebraska and was in the Lincoln area. And the one of the Lutheran churches there, Good Shepherd, they have a radio station. And on Fridays, they've got one of their former pastors. He's mm-hmm. he's retired. He had been a Navy chaplain, and he plays big band music. Okay. So my wife and I went to one of their fundraisers, and this was a door prize. Right. So listening to 40s music, eating 40s food. <laughs> it kind of looks like dirty water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to get 40 style dysentery, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey, play some big band music uh, yeah, in the background not, here. It's not dissolving as well as it could. <laughs> maybe, the hot, maybe hot water would have been better. <laughs> All right. It's. All right, so this is something we haven't had on the show yet, Vicar. It smells like flavored water. It smells like uh, lemon. It could have used sugar. It smells a lot. Hmm. Yeah, it smells a lot uh, stronger than it tastes. Right. It, it tastes kind of like you're preparing men to die. <laughs> <laughs> I I, sus- I suspect that the purpose was just to help with cleaning out the water, since. Sure. Water quality while you're marching in the middle of nowhere is right questionable at best. So it's probably got some chemicals in there to kill bacteria and whatnot. I mean, mm, yeah, the chemicals. The crackers that came with this might be better. But <laughs> yeah, I can't have the crackers, man. I can. Open it up, man. Open it up. And while you're doing that, should we talk about the text? Sure. Sure. Uh, so, Berg, what you preaching on? All right, so the text, the gospel reading for this coming Sunday is Mark seven thirty-one through 37. Jesus heals a deaf and mute man. So he is, uh, I'll just read the text. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them not to tell it. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. By the way, if you hear a noise in the background, that's Vicar trying to open the can of Mystery possible meat. chicken. Yes. So, um, obviously, one of the found I call foundational healing that we have in the Bible, right? And uh, to me, I think it's somewhat easy preach to preach because there's lots of imagery within the in the in the the healing. You have Jesus being really physical pulling him away from the crowd. You have uh, uh, people who brought this man who could not hear or speak. You have uh, uh, the command, be opened, as Jesus uh, uh, looked to to heaven. And uh, you have the healing. And uh, he who could not hear, hear, and then he could speak. And, um, and so I, one... 
there's a obviously a healing that Jesus does all things well. Two, I, I think there's a strong relation to uh, the resurrection on the last day where uh, our deaf, mute, dead bodies will will uh, hear as this man, the first thing he heard was Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he opens our graves, causes us to hear with new ears and speak with new mouths, and uh, that he is the one that can do it. He does all things well, taking the curse of sin and then doing something about it. What do you got for us there, Berg? I really don't know. What's really interesting with reading this, um, Jesus tells them, right? He charges them to tell no one. I think mm-hmm. that's something like we have to wrestle with too, you know? That out of this whole healing business, you know, he, he tells them not to tell anybody. I've heard it described this way, which I don't think is true. I've heard people say, um, oh, that's Jesus trying to use uh, reverse psychology. Like, he, if you tell someone what they're not supposed to do, now don't say anything, what are they going to do? Yeah, so I, I do think that that's something that preachers have to wrestle with in the text. Jesus tells them not to tell anybody, but then they actually don't actually listen to Jesus. Um, yeah, so... And I think that doesn't that just center around the fact that it wasn't his time yet. One of the one of the things that really hastened the death of Jesus was when he raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, it got people pretty upset and everyone riled up. Um, do you think that has something to do with it? I yeah, I think it does have something to do with it. Uh, I think too, Jesus. You know, I I do think it has to do with. Um, why Jesus took this man away from the crowd, too. Because Jesus could have done this healing in order to validate his message. Did you cut yourself? Do you need a tetanus shot? No, but I'm really glad that I don't have to eat lunch this way most of the time. Ah. That little can opener is hard to use. I might need a tetanus shot. I took <laughs> a nail in my leg yesterday. Oh, man. Well, that looks disgusting. <laughs> yeah. It looks like that's got gluten and, and dairy in it. Um <laughs> So you don't know what uh, what direction you're going to go with that yet? No idea. Vicar, what are you, you're the one that's actually preaching on it. Yeah, and I I think I agree with where you're where you're looking. This idea of you know how Jesus is healing this man, and kind of how that kind of mirrors our condition, our human condition. With we are, you know, we we cannot hear God. We're we're you know dead in our sin, and He takes us aside. He speaks to us. He opens us up. the The connection to the resurrection makes a lot of sense. All right. So I am unashamedly stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we have um, we're going to have a few a few emails. We're going to clear out the email. One was uh, by someone who had a reaction to Berg's top twelve list that he's been working on, and. Uh, it's a little lengthy, so I am going to read it. Um, but uh, Peter, uh, if you would, um, for the sake of our listeners, speed it up for us. Yeah, I can do that. All right. So this is by uh, someone named Michael. And uh, he says, um, Dear Errant Clerics and Pete. Hey, Peter. Just finished listening to episode 73, Eating at Maccabees, with Pastor Berg's segment on the Apoc- Apocrypha. 
He gave a brief history of the Apocrypha that raised a question for me. Whence came this notion among American Lutherans that the Old Testament Apocrypha is some sort of third type of category of scripture? In the recognition of the canon, there were some books universally recognized as prophetic and apostol or apostolic. The homologate... I can never say that word. Homologemina? Yes. The way Berg explained it is almost... It almost seemed like there were some churches that weren't on the interlibrary loan list, and they didn't have antilegomena books in their Bible library. But as I understand the history, these churches had received them, considered them, and were not convinced of their apostolic authorship. Even as recently as the 19th century in our own Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, there was a pastor who rejected the book of Revelation, but was able to remain a pastor in the Synod because its apostolicity has been historically disputed. Thus, he was not violating his ordination vows. From the get-go, it seemed that Lutherans were willing to and able to take a more nuanced approach on the issue, including these books, but recognizing the distinction in both Old and New Testaments. In his 16th century manual on examining the doctrine of pastors, the Enchiridion and Enchiridion, Dr. Martin Chemnitz notes two different ways of dividing scripture, Old and New Testaments, canonical and apocryphal books. In the list of apocryphal books, he included books from both the Old and New Testament. Pastor Burke mentioned that Lutherans used to read the Old Testament Apocrypha during the week, but also made an appearance on Sundays and feast days. In the German Bibles published in our own Concordia Publishing House as late as the early 20th century, the Divine Service Lectionary, which included the readings of every Sunday and every feast day of the church year, was included as an appendix in the back of the book. At that time, there were only two readings, an epistle and a gospel. The epistle readings broke down roughly two-thirds from the New Testament and one-third from the Old Testament. The readings from the New Testament were divided about roughly two-thirds from the homologemina uh, books, Acts, Pauline Epistles, First, and, uh, first Peter, and First John, and one-third from what chemists called the New Testament Apocrypha, Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John, Jude, Revelation. Likewise, the Old Testament readings were roughly two-thirds from the Homo Legumina books, one-third from apocryphal books, mostly uh, Sirach and Wisdom. I don't think there's a proportion necessarily by design, but it sure has been easy to remember. So how did we end up losing the Apocrypha along with nearly 10% of our appointed lectionary readings? My working theory is that I'm still testing out that the 17th century Scottish Presbyterian roundheads did not take the same nuanced approach that our Lutheran fathers did. Instead, placing themselves staunchly in the anti-camp regarding these antilegomena books, and after winning the English Civil War, these roundhead politicians imposed their theology on the Church of England, effectively banning the Apocrypha from English-language Bibles, printing and distributed England, which included the colonies in America. And when politicians set theological doctrine, that always works out for the best, right? So when Luther... Pause. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, roundheads, is this a... Slur of some kind. No, is this what they actually call? No, this is a this is a historical movement uh, with the English Civil War. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Continue. Yeah, we're not going to get canceled by using that. I'm just making sure. And if you are, you're a roundhead. <laughs> ah. So when Lutherans in America switched from German to English in the mid to early to mid 20th century, they were saddled with a 17th century political decision and could not find any English language Bibles and Old Testament Apocrypha. And just three generations from the beginning to the end of the 20th century, we went from hearing and reading from Hebrews and a reading from Ecclesiastes in the same tempered deuterocanonical way, but distinct from the canonical way which we listen to Isaiah, Romans, or Matthew, to hearing a reading from Revelation, the same canonical way we hear a reading from the Gospel of John. But practically having an attack on the, of the vapors if we read the song of the three men in the furnace. By the way, we probably should correct 17.0's definition. Deuterocanonical canonical, is not secondary to the canon, but of secondary authority within the canon. The Book of Concord is secondary to the canon because it is not apostolic, but it has been normed to the canon. The Book of Revelation is secondary within the canon because it can be understood through the norm of the rest of the canon, even though historically uh, some were not entirely convinced of its apostolic province. Your servant in Christ, Michael. Okay. Good. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, even sped up. That took forever. So, anyway, I mean, <laughs> he 
Yeah, I mean, if he wants to use Chemnitz's Old Testament Apocrypha, New Testament Apocrypha, whatever, I I think the way that Peeper does it with the homologemina, mm-hmm. the antilegomena, and the Apocrypha is actually a much better way of doing it because the Apocrypha, the ones that we are reading from the Old Testament, like Judith and Susanna and, and that, those were never in the Hebrew canon. Right. Right, and we. I'm sorry. Can I pause you, Berg? I'm, yeah. Um, as a layperson, I have no clue what that entire email is saying. Right. So, can we boil down that email to a couple main points? Yes. So Lutherans read the Apocrypha. Okay, they read the Apocrypha during the church services. So, if you went into like a 16th or 17th century church, even an 18th century church. And as he points out, even the 20th century church, you could go into churches and hear uh, the Apocrypha being read during the services. And even for certain feast days, like um, Mary, the mother of our Lord, I believe one of the readings was actually from um, uh, from one of the Apocryphal books. I can't remember which one. Um, our confession. So the, the our Lutheran fathers were... They read the Apocrypha, and they quoted from it mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, and it's really, and what he's saying is, is that we lost all that when we went to the English translations of the Bible, because when we were still doing German, which we did up until about the 1920s right. or so, uh, the German editions of the Bible had the Apocrypha uh, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and so his uh, his case he what he's th- what he's thinking his working theory is that the Calvinists took over and they said okay here are the books of the Bible here are the sixty six books of the Bible mm-hmm. case closed it's all scripture now what he's bringing out and which is true is that there there is a lot more nuance than what we want there to be. Right. We want it to just be uh, people, cut and dry. Right. People want a very simple answer. And the thing is, is that what he brings up, and it's true, that the church, and this has always been my point, the church cannot set the canon. The church does not have the authority to say which books are God's word and which books aren't. Okay, so there have, there's been this big debate, and he makes a point that actually politicians are the one that des- that decided, decided it, it, right? And so the Roman Catholics also decided it in 1546 at the Council of Trent when they said, "Well, the Apocrypha is all Scripture; it's all Scripture. Uh, case closed; it's done." That's not really the way it is. Um, the Homologemina books, so the four Gospels. Uh, well, the whole the, the canon of the Old Testament, right, that we have in our Bibles, the the Gospels, most of the epistles of Paul, First Peter, and that sort of thing, those are all the, the church all agreed on that. They all recognized right. that this created faith, right? This and is uh, what we I'm have. I'm sorry received. again to jump in. Yep. Uh, uh, that long word that you keep get you guys keep saying, uh, huh? homologam. Go ahead. Yeah, homologemina. Yep. And what is that? 
it basically, I can't remember what the breakdown is, but it basically means everybody's saying the same thing. Everyone agrees that those, that those, no question, those are, those are scripture. Yeah, those are God's word, right? Okay. So now the ones that they did have, that there was some debate on was Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. Um, the Latin church had a really hard time with the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, so that's one of those things that, uh, so how do we deal with this, right? Well, it means that when we are arguing or establishing doctrine, we don't go to what Chemnitz called the New Testament Apocrypha or what we call in our dogmatics books the Antilogomeno. So we don't go to Hebrews, James, Second Peter, Second and Third John, Jude, and Revelation in order to establish teaching doctrines. Not, not only that, especially when it comes to Revelation, you uh, it's... It's there's you don't also also base it on heavy symbolism as well, right? You use the clearer words of of the word of the Bible to understand those confusing parts, anyways. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very nuanced thing, and uh, we're sorry, lis- listeners, if it seems too deep, or we're not saying that the Bible isn't the Bible. What we're simply saying here is that. These last books, Hebrews, James, Second Peter, Second and Third John, Jude, and Revelation, did not have this sort of same harmonious testimony of the early church. Right. Like, for example, Hebrews. We don't really know for sure who wrote Hebrews. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews. And there are ways that you read Hebrews that once you fall away from the faith, there's no coming back. Right. So... There, there were, there are issues, right, that we have to actually wrestle with and deal with, and there is this nuanced view. However, I would say that um, according to our dogmatics with Peeper, there is this third category of the apocrypha, right? Right. It's not scripture. It's not canonical, in the sense that it wasn't a part of the Old Testament Hebrew. Uh, which is primary for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are geographical and historical errors in the Apocrypha, and the Apocrypha also teaches false doctrine right? in certain places. There's a reason why Luther says, this isn't Scripture, but it's good for learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I, that's the point. And... Should we read it during church? Well, getting into the top 12 list, we do actually read it in church. So, Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Pastor Berg's Top 12. So, we did uh, 12 through 9 last time, right? I believe so. Number 8. The Spirit of the Lord fills the world. The righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. This is from Wisdom, uh, chapter 1, uh, 7a, and Psalm 68, 3. 
This is the introit antiphon for the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And an antiphon is a sentence that really begins the psalm of right. uh, when the pastor would enter into the church. That's what intro, introit means. It means right. entrance. So it is what happens at the beginning of the service. It kind of introduces the the theme of the day. And wisdom one one seven is really kind of nice. The spirit of the Lord fills the world. And that really fits well with Right. Pentecost. Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Right? Because now he is sending out preachers uh, into all of the world, uh, beginning at Jerusalem, uh, to spread the Spirit. That the Spirit isn't just like an ocean wave, uh, but that he is actually transmitted through preaching, through holy baptism, and the like. Mm-hmm. And that the righteous are glad because of this, uh, because the Holy Spirit makes them righteous. Number seven. This is the antiphon for the intro of Easter Tuesday. It's one that, uh, I don't know if any of you guys celebrate Easter Tuesday. I always get sad when we don't celebrate all these feast days, but usually you're so exhausted by the end of yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I preach every day during Holy Week, right. so it just about kills me. Especially if, if they all happen in April, and then you have, like, uh, like we do, we have like our ushers assigned for April. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or if there's just, you know, a mild pandemic. <laughs> right. <laughs> a mild, yes, exactly. So, uh, Vicar, if you'd look up uh, the readings for Easter Tuesday, that'd be awesome. So, this is a reading from Ecclesiasticus 15, uh, verses 3b through 4a. He gave them to drink of the water of wisdom. He will strengthen them. They shall not be moved. So um, let's look up the readings for uh, Easter Tuesday, and we can see maybe how this this antiphon, right, this beginning sentence for the intro, it actually sets the theme of the day. The reading is from Luke twenty four thirty six through forty eight. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "Peace to you." But they were startled and frightened and thought they, they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So um, getting back to our... uh, that antiphon, uh, he gave them to drink of the water of wisdom. He will strengthen them. They shall not be moved. Right? You can see how this, uh, Yeah. you know, he he opens their minds to the scriptures. He gives them from the a drink from the well of wisdom, his own wisdom, divine wisdom. Right. And he strengthens them, uh, not only by eating the fish and by appearing before them, but also by reminding them what they are called to do. And and that's something that you you see. That's 
you see the turning point kind of right here from the disciples, from being fearful, afraid, hiding, denying Jesus, seeing him alive, not being afraid, and uh, doing some pretty heroic things in their lifetimes following. Right. He strengthens them, and the strength comes from Christ and his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, and the understanding of scriptures, that, that uh, this is the way it was from the beginning, that, uh, that, that the Son of God should come, die, and on the third day rise, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached to the ends of the earth, beginning with Jerusalem. And that's strength, that's a change, that's, that's life, that changes the disciples and makes them apostles and then sends them out with the word. Number six. Number six is the antiphon for the intro for Ash Wednesday, and it's from Wisdom 11, 24 through 26. You have had mercy on all, O Lord, and a poor nothing you have made. You look past the sins of men that they may repent. You spare them all because you are our Lord, our God. Obviously for Ash Wednesday, uh, a day of repentance. Right. And, and, uh, and a day of also mercy. Yeah, and I think that mercy theme, it's a good thing that this starts with the mercy theme because this is the beginning of Lent, like you said. This is a, be- this is a day of repentance. Uh, there's a- ashes being put on your head. and, 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 and that, Which is really important when you think about repentance in this way. The call to repentance is by nature gracious, meaning... You repent because you have a God who is merciful who hears you. Mm-hmm. You repent because he can do something about it. You know, you ask because he gives. And uh, um, whether it's uh, Jonah, which sometimes is read on Ash Wednesday, right? Where, where Nineveh repents and God relents. So you repent because he hears that repentance. And so there is... And just in the act of repentance, there is a, a call to mercy. Just like when Jesus, the first sermons that he preached, the kingdom of, uh, of God is at hand. Repent and Repent believe the and gospel. Believe the gospel. Yeah. The, the, uh, the fact that he was there, that there was someone who hears your repentance, that God was going to answer with mercy, um, is uh, goes along with the call to repent and the, the expectation of mercy in a God who hears you. Number five. This is the antiphon for the intro of for the Christmas midnight service. Do you okay. guys have a Christmas midnight service? Oh, uh, it's every year it gets probably a little sooner. It started off like at like well, ten thirty or or eleven, and then. Uh, as the, the we get older, it's like at seven thirty now. <laughs> I think we did nine nine thirty. It was nine thirty. Yeah, yeah. You're just you're on English time at that point, right? right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, it is uh, from Wisdom eighteen fourteen through fifteen. When all was still and it was midnight, your almighty word, O Lord, descended from the royal throne. Oh yeah. Actually, I think people have. Like, our English hymn writers have gotten more out of the Apocrypha than, than uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe what they expect, right? That when all was still, so you can think of 
Stille Nacht, right? right? Um, Silent Night, when it was midnight, because everybody thinks that it's at midnight that, right? We, and we're not. The Bible doesn't actually say that, mm-hmm. but that Your Almighty Word, O Lord, descended from the royal throne. What a wonderful way to talk about our Lord's birth. Does it talk about it being bleak midwinter at all? Or <laughs> No, it doesn't have any frozen ducks in it either. <laughs> and if you're wondering about the reference, Lutheran satire uh, on English hymn writing, it's really funny. Number four. All right, here is the antiphon for the intro it for Holy Trinity. Blessed be the Holy Trinity and the undivided unity. Let us give glory to him because he has shown his mercy to us. This is, part of this is from Tobit 12, 6a. Uh, the let us give glory to him because he has shown mercy to us. Um, that the final goal or end of all of this is the praise of God. Right. That everything he does Uh, All of the mercy that he has shown to us, all of the earthly gifts that he has given, all of the spiritual gifts he has given. uh, We hear finally in the first article, the explanation of the first article, that therefore it is my duty to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. And that really is the end uh, of all theology. Right. The end of all theology is doxology, to praise God for all of the things that he has done for us. Number three. The antiphon for the intro for Trinity 18, which is coming up. And it is from Ecclesiasticus 36, 21 through 22. Give peace, O Lord, to those who wait for you, and let your prophets be proven faithful. Hear the prayer of your servants according to the blessing of Aaron upon your people. So, Vicar, please look up the gospel reading for Trinity 18. Gospel reading is Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 46. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great, great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, Then how is it that David, in the spirit, calls him him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. All right, so here we see that uh, the intro it, here you have the enemies of the gospel Mm -hmm. seeking to silence Jesus. uh, And this is a great prayer for today. To give peace to those who wait on God, for those who believe in him, mm-hmm. that the prophets be proven faithful because there are many false prophets in the world, uh, and that he would hear our prayers. Um, and uh, 
the I, I like the way it worded that the prophets would prove to be faithful because the prophets proclaim Christ. Right. True prophets proclaim Christ. Right. And the way the prophets do it is they 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 proclaim what God has promised in such a way that it almost like it's already happened. Right. So David, for example, in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a faith, like he's called a prophet. Right. Right? And uh, it, it's it's kind of like how we should view the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's so sure that we should, according to Christ's teaching, understand that it could be today and live as though it could be today. Right. And, and, and our salvation and during the pandemic, which was brought up earlier, during the pandemic, we live in this pandemic as though we are citizens of heaven. Mm-hmm. Number two. Number two Number is two. the antiphon for the introit for Trinity 20. It is from the prayer of Azariah, uh, 4a, 7a, 20b, and 19b. Didn't cut that one up at all, did they? Uh, anyway. Hannah, put those in the notes, would you? <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is righteous in all that he has done to us, for we have not obeyed his commandments. Glorify your name, O Lord, and deal with us according to your great mercy. So, okay, so uh, Trinity 20, the Gospel of Matthew uh, 22, 1 through 14, the parable of the wedding feast. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are, are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he, told, he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So, we see in, in, the, in, the, in the part that I just read, The Lord is righteous in all that he has done to us, for we have not obeyed his commandments. Uh, that works in both a law mm-hmm. and a gospel sense. He is just in destroying those murderers and burning their city. Right. He is just in casting out the man who doesn't have a wedding garment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because now, now, What's a wedding garment look like in one of these? Well, in, in the old days, they would actually send wedding garments. Uh, one way of interpreting this text, and we're not 100% sure on this, uh, Actually, the person who invited you to the wedding feast would have sent you clothes for the wedding feast. And so a way, the way for you to not, to not receive that garment was kind of a slap in the face. So that's definitely one way of looking at this text. It's kind of like uh, if you go to uh, 
to Walmart and re- you refuse to wear the mask that they give you to wear. You you have to get your Fritos somewhere else. Indeed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, you know. Uh, but it's also good, too, because God by wants way, his... By the way, I got a... One of the, my prized possessions right now is my ShamWow face mask. It's amazing. I know you're all jealous. Super jealous. All right. So, anyway... But uh, there's a plea here to glorify God's name and to deal with us according to your great mercy. That's what he does as in, by inviting us to the, uh, to the wedding feast. So, all right, the number one. And number one. Number one comes from... Wait, 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 wait. Oh. Peter, do you know what number one is? Can you guess? Is it, is it from Maccabees? It is not from Maccabees. Wait, wait, okay, wait, wait. Oh. Okay, I'm going to guess that it is from uh, uh, Trinity 24. Nope. No, wait, wait, wait. No, this one's from... <laughs> Baker. This one is... You got this? I think It's, it's going to be something obscure. It's going to be from uh, 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 Shirak. No. Shirak, you mean? This is going to be from Harvest Festival. <laughs> ha! I want to say yes, but no. Wait, wait. <laughs> My last guess. This is for uh, uh, Lutheran Hour Ministry Sunday. I want to say yes, but no. <coughs> it is actually for Trinity 21. It's the anaphon for the intro it, and it's from the Old Greek Esther 13, 9 through 11. See, a lot of people had problems with Esther because if you read it in the Hebrew, Esther doesn't actually mention God once. <laughs> and so the Greeks, when they translated the Old Testament, are like, well, we got to kind of fix that. So <laughs> so they went in and they added uh, a bunch of references to God in it. Okay. So, so here is... It's kind of like the way I, I fix a vicar's sermon, kind of. Y- yeah, only adding to God's <laughs> word. In a not cool way. Hey, you might want to talk about God. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, what a, what a novel thought. Jesus? I, I mean, you know, so <laughs> this is the thing is like Esther is the one book of the Bible that never actually mentions God. So, all right. So here is what uh, that antiphon is. The whole world is in your power, O Lord. King Almighty, no one can gainsay you, for you have made heaven and earth. You are the Lord of all. So for Trinity 21, that reading uh, is John 4, 46 through 54. Jesus heals an official son who believes in him, and he and his household believe, and this is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So um, this uh, this text shows, well, that the whole world is in Jesus' power. Mm-hmm. He can do as he says. Um, what Nothing can hinder him. No one can gainsay him. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, he made heaven and earth, and so he can heal this boy whom he has made. Uh, and this creates faith then in the the noble, right? right? 
So that is the top 12 list for the Apocrypha. It was ap- Apocrytastic, right? <laughs> it was Apocrypha for sure. For sure. Nope. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Ah. We got a, a little bit more things. I think we need to clean out the, the email box. Peter. Play the intro. Confound the clerics. All right. This is from a listener named Laura. She says, dear Berg, Pastor Berg, Pastor Bill Higgin, Vicar, and Peter. I wasn't sure what to put in the subject line subject because I have several things I want to comment on. First of all, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast for about the past year. I've gone back and listened to some of the episodes before I started listening on a regular weekly basis. My favorite section is the top 12. But why 12? Um, That actually is a classic line. Um, Peter, I hate to do this to you, but can you play that one section from... Baldwin, where it says, why top 12? How many apostles? Yeah, yeah, I can play it. Here it is. So I've got my 12, and the reason why I have 12 is Vicar. Hey, Vicar. What's the significance of 12 in the Bible? 12 in the Bible. He has to Google it. Completion? All right. Completion. Like, how many disciples are there? Uh, Twelve. How many apostles are there? Twelve. Uh, how many tribes with Israel? Twelve? Wrong. Thirteen. Thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's why. So. Um, my favorite top 12 list includes elderly. Very important in this day and age. Hospice. Uh, I am a hospice nurse, and numbers 1 through 12 with the sound effects. Though I agree with 16.0 that number 2 was way too low on the list since the animals came 2 by 2 in the ark. Um, by the way, we've received two emails on that top 12 list of numbers. Mm-hmm. One said, I stopped listening for a few months after that top 12 list. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the same one. Remember, he said we should do shorter episodes. So that yeah, that's right. So we did six. So we did six episodes on one episode. Yeah. Oh boy. But now we have somebody who says it's one of the favorites. So, uh, last week's episode with a section on Martin Luther's letter about fleeing from a pandemic really resonated with me. I am sharing that letter letter with others. Do you feel that people are most scared about the pandemic are ones that are scared about death and not having the assurance of heaven and going there when they die? I have seen that in hospice at the time of death, that those who are believers in Christ and the forgiveness of sins, along with knowing heaven is real and that they will be there soon, seem to have a more peaceful death and don't fight it. They let it come naturally, as do the families. Uh, that's a good point uh, as that you make as a hospice nurse that and that we notice as a pastor too that uh, there is an understanding of in faith of what exactly is going on now to get to your question whether that fear is is um, a lack of trust in the resurrection I would say 
Um, sometimes, in the sense of I do think people uh, are trying to look out for others. Um, I do think that uh, people may be considering of seeking to watch out for their neighbor. Um, but I also do feel that people are afraid of death as well. So I think uh, to say there's, for me, in my understanding, it's uh, it's a whole host of, of things, and that is one of them. What would you say, Berg? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I've known very strong Christians who had a very hard time coming to terms with their mortality. Right. Um, especially when you're in your 50s and you end up with a cancer that is terminal. Mm-hmm. And it, this, this person was very, very strong in the faith uh, and yet still struggled with, with death. Um, now at the end, uh, because there had been so much time, uh, she had become reconciled to the idea. And uh, so I think even it's hard for us because we only know of this life. Yeah, and I would say this too, is one reason amongst Christians why they they may fear death um, is really for the sake of their family, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, For example, uh, the, the elderly grandmothers and grandfathers they're, uh, if they're still married, they're fear- fearful for their spouse. They want to be as long as they l- can be for their spouse. Uh, sometimes elderly may feel as though though um, the family needs their assurance and their encouragement uh, to be a part of church. That they feel, mm-hmm. once I'm gone, what will happen? You know, because they see see themselves as kind of a grounding force uh, for their family and helping them recognize the importance of faith. And and one one way I, I see that too is uh, uh, they want to be make sure that the funeral uh, preaches the word of God. Because because um, you've made this point too, uh, Vicar, that the funeral service really is for also the sake of the one who's dying. Because we say, well, you're dead. Why do you care? Well, I care with my funeral because I love the word of God that I want people who come to my funeral to hear scriptures. That mm-hmm. matters to me. So it is for me. And and if someone is dying and they you reassure them, I will make sure that your loved ones will hear the gospel, the law and the gospel at your funeral that'll be clearly proclaimed for the sake of your family because those who come to your funeral they are the ones that you care deeply about that you want them to hear Mm -hmm. and so it is for the sake of the one who died for their comfort as well even while they're still alive um so so i would say that it also plays into it with our elderly that that um their care and concern very rarely for the very elderly Christian is not about themselves. It's about, it's about others. One thing that I do think people need to think about, this is all across the board, is to order their house, 
because we don't actually believe we're going to die. And a lot of times we wait until it's too late. I look at Isaac, for example, in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He is 135 when he gives the blessing to Jacob. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm about to die. I need to get this done. Uh, but he lives for another... He lives until he's 180. Mm-hmm. So he lives for decades and decades more. I think that would actually solve a lot of the problems that you just mentioned about who's going to take care of children or these sort of things, right? Mm -hmm. Is to actually get your house in order um, and have those things prepared uh, beforehand because we all like to think that we're going to die in our beds cognizant and say our goodbyes and all that, but I've been through it enough where that is a very rare occurrence. Right. So, and you don't want those things. You don't want family because the Holy Ghost can and does preserve your family in the faith. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. God preserves your wife and children. God is the defender of the fatherless and the widows. Uh, At the end of the day, those things can also become temptations. And that's one thing we do have to avoid in ourselves. It's good to care for them. It's good to be concerned about their welfare, but don't let it become an idol. And and getting back to also to your point, Laura, too, is I understand your comment, though, uh, your comment kind of in this way. Um, You know, if Jesus has risen from the dead, um, sometimes death and the fear of death can can kind of almost come across as though we are so afraid of it as though Jesus is still in the grave, that death hasn't been defeated. So um, another uh, continuing of this reading, um, one criticism I would like to point out is the frequent use of the word right at the end of a sentence. Boy, she does a compliment sandwich here, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, at the end of a sentence, right? Are you trying to make a point, right? I have people that agree with you, right? But does it get a little repetitive and annoying, right? I would completely, wouldn't completely stop doing it, but keep it in mind. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Laura, so much. <laughs> I can now prove that people notice when they do this stuff. So are you suggesting maybe we have a right buzzer? Uh, I could do that. Don't you have like a little red button? Uh, I have a bra button. <laughs> All right. So every time you, you we say right, you hit the bra button. Sure, I'll, I'll try. I can try. It's that's it's a lot of them. Uh, if you if you Laura go back and listen to the very first episode, you'll notice they hardly say it, and that's because for the first episode, I tried to edit it out every time they said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. It took a long time, so Hit I didn't the do it after Hit the, the first one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right doesn't count, though. I don't know. It might as well. That's how you guys. You guys don't transition either. It's just like, all right. 
I had a I had a good transition. You, you know, that's true. You had a good one today. That, that's a that's a soundbite, by the way. I had a good transition. <laughs> we'll put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> All right. Stop making t-shirts. We can't even make the one. <laughs> uh, she continues. Pastor Bullhagen, uh, when you meet with your GI about your GI doctor about your EOE, ask him slash her about leaky gut and healing it. Wow. That sounds uh, a leaky gut. As someone who likes to wear a lot of white t-shirts, that sounds horrifying. Horrifying. Just looking down, it's like I I just have this like, look huge at my idea gut. of like this it's, big it's leaky ship ship and you know <laughs> careful and I said ship. <laughs> uh, I think this episode's got to end here soon. We got a, at least we got a title now. <laughs> I can't use that. Uh, All right, so a leaky gut and helping healing it, in which. Uh, which could help with your EOE. You could do some research on a leaky gut. Uh, gut health is a passion of mine. Most people have an unhealthy gut that leads many disease processes, including EOE. Uh, if they don't have any idea about a leaky gut, contact me. I can help. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. I look forward to a new episode uh, every week. Well, thank you, Laura, for listening. It's for people like you and uh, Mike. Michael, that we do this show. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, our associate producer, Hannah, uh, asked this question as we're clearing out our email box. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? That is to say, how responsible is a husband for the actions of his wife and, by extension, his children whom he is supposed to teach and rear properly so let's start with the first question who sinned first adam or eve um i think uh a lot of pastors would say that actually adam sinned because the command was given to adam and uh adam perhaps didn't i think this is what hannah is getting at did not properly educate Eve to do so. What do you think about that opinion? Mm. I, I guess it depends on what you mean by first. If you mean chronologically, the Bible makes it pretty clear that Eve sinned first. Right. She sinned first. And Paul makes mention references that, doesn't he? Now, or does he say? So, but the thing is, is why does Paul always talk about Adam's sin? Because he should have said no to his wife, right? God says, because you listen to your wife, right? Cursed, right. Christ is, uh, cursed is the ground. I did it again, I know. And for, I think, and, and to be honest, is uh, so I think... Chronologically, Eve sinned first, but uh, Adam takes the blame for it. He is the head. Right. Uh, and he should have uh, he should have stayed strong. I don't think there's a flaw in teaching. I really don't. I, if anything, uh, if anything, he overtaught by saying, "Don't even touch it." But how many people do that anyway with their kids? Right. So, 
and and I, I suppose too. The Bible never condemns Adam for for failing to teach his wife. It condemns him for listening to his wife. And I get worried one thing when we talk this way too, of 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 this, of um, of this discussion of who's him first can lead to some kind of strange conclusions. You know, kind of like who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, where. Um, where uh, maybe I'm just kind of hypersensitive right now too with uh, with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, where we're all supposed to be guilty for for mm-hmm. for what happened, you know, with with slavery. Um, yeah, I, where you kind of use a... it to make conclusions about men and women. God uses the Bible uses uh, Adam and Eve to talk about the order of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, of the man being the head of the house, but um, as far as who sinned first and and where do we place the blame, I don't know how much that ultimately matters because headship headship he- headship always needs to be that there are two things that need to be kept in balance uh, and in mind headship and that there is a hierarchy, but also personal responsibility. The Bible teaches both. Um, a, chi- a child is not guilty for the sins of his father, as Ezekiel says, and uh, a father is not guilty for the sins of his children. Eli was in First Samuel because he did not restrain his children. He taught them poorly and allowed them to continue in the office of the priesthood um, apart from you know, without chastising them. And right. so right there, God does lay the blame on Eli because of his his lack of, of leadership for his children. However, Samuel's sons also commit bribes right. and are wicked men. But Samuel is never blamed by God for their evil deeds. Right. And so we have to keep both of these things in line because we are never promised that our children will be Christian. Right. We can teach them the best way that we possibly can. Um, but it, at the end of the day, that that does, the Spirit works where and when He chooses. And so husbands, teach the best that you can, knowing that it all lies in the hands of God. Right. And that's... And... and uh... There, and one of I probably one of the the biggest sadnesses that we deal with oftentimes as pastors is fathers, mothers, grandparents mm-hmm. who who are upset for this very re- reason. It's not what I taught you. Yeah, you know, I think, and I think you're getting at a right thing, Hannah, because today in our society, there's so much on personal responsibility but nothing on headship. Uh, Fathers need to teach their children. Husbands need to lead their wives. That's also what the Bible teaches. And a lot of men don't do it. And I completely agree that we need to uh, keep, we need to teach that a lot more than what we have been teaching. However, we don't ever want to lose sight that 
in the end, everybody has to answer to God uh, alone. I can't answer for my son. I can't answer for my parents. I can't answer for my brother. Right. Uh, whether they believe or not. Um, I, they will have to stand before the judgment seat of, Christ, of God, either clothed in the righteousness of Christ uh, because they believe, and no one can believe for somebody else, or they won't. Yeah. And that's not my fault. So, um, yeah. So, so uh, good question. Um, and uh, th- thank you, Hannah. We do this show just for people like you. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Interesting show. Um, right? <laughs> Um, so, uh, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your gut not be leaky. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.